This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Did you watch any of the race or did you hear anything about the race today? Today, of course, being the Boston Marathon. Weather was bad enough in Boston that they had to cancel the traditional Boston Red Sox 11 a.m. game. That one right out the window, just not even going to bother playing. But they have the Boston Marathon. you got 29,000 people who have made their way down to Boston to do that. So away we go. And, uh, ugh, not nice. But great day for locals, great day for Canadians. Krista Duchesne, who's from Brantford, as you heard Ken Mann say several times, finished third today. Unbelievable performance. And Reed Coolsat, who is from Guelph via Hamilton, he finished ninth today. Might have something to do with them being Canadian and knowing how to handle the conditions a bit. Well, Krista may be joining us in a bit, but she is delayed because, I guess because the conditions and everything today, the award ceremony is running really late. That's fine. Gives us a chance to bring back our friend. If you were listening last Thursday, you heard a chat we had with Neil Ridley, who is a Niagara Regional Police Officer who was running the Boston Marathon uh, only two and a half years after he was shot in the neck and almost died. Well, he got to run it today. You heard the story, if you were listening last week or read the paper on Saturday, you heard the story of his background. Let's move to the uh, present day, though, and Neil joins us now. Neil, um, have you have you been in the sauna? Have you had a hot shower? Have you thawed out a little bit? It was definitely a long hot shower, Scott. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Congratulations on finishing. Thanks a million. That is, um, I, for most people who are not diehard runners, running in basically freezing conditions while it's pouring rain into a 35 kilometer an hour headwind sounds about as much fun as, I don't know, pick whatever the worst thing is you can imagine. It sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, and it was. <laughs> you know, I, I really can't sugarcoat it any other way. It was terrible uh, running conditions right from the start when we got off the bus. Um, standing in the athletes' village, just that old high school, and their uh, their track and uh, soccer fields were just—you couldn't even tell there was grass. There was just so much mud. But you know, you're there for that reason. Your reason—the reason is to run Boston, and uh, you know you can't control the weather, so uh, you got to go with it. But uh, yeah, terrible, terrible weather conditions. Yeah, you're not going to bail once you've actually qualified and made it down there. That's for sure. But. When you woke up this morning and looked out the window, now you can't feel the temperature yet, but from your hotel and you look out the window, can you tell right away this is this is going to be an ugly day to run? Well, I've been actually following the weather for about the last 10 days on uh, on a weather app on my phone and talking to some other people, and I knew that there was potential. We were hoping for... Five days ago, it was about 13 degrees with a 30% chance of precipitation. Um, but I, I knew tomorrow or, or today, uh, yesterday, was going to be uh, wet um, and, and cold. So, yeah, you got to go with it. So you get to the starting line and they dump you out of the bus. Well, they don't dump you, but they drop you off from the bus yeah. into the waiting area. And when I said waiting, not waiting, although it probably could have been the same thing. You are standing in a puddle of mud before you even start. So before you even run a step in the Boston Marathon, your feet are completely soaked and you are standing there getting poured on. So you're already frozen before you even begin, right? Yes, you are. <laughs> It's, um, okay, and so then you start to get going. Is it possible to warm up in those conditions? Yeah, it is. I mean, once you, for me, I knew, uh, for me, it's about three, four kilometers into a run, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start to heat up again, and, 
discard like sort of the poncho that uh, that I was wearing, and most most other runners were runners were doing that. Um, it's sort of a mindset. You know you're going to get wet. You know that it's cold, and you know that the wind's going to be in your face. And it takes probably into the about five kilometer where you got to make that mental decision of going. This is just the way it is, and start discarding clothing. Um, the guy ended up running with uh, shorts and a t-shirt, but <laughs> you just. <laughs> But you're you're. It doesn't like. It's not so much because you want to stay warm, but any extra clothing is completely soaked. You can put on a rain jacket, but it's, the wind's throwing it down your neck. It's thin your shorts. It's all the way down your legs. Your 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 feet are completely uh, soaking wet. There's just in this kind of weather. There's no way that you would uh, be able to stop any of that. Have you ever run in this before? I mean, if no, it's a winter day, no. you don't go out and run and stuff like that. No, this this is. This weather condition, I wouldn't go outside to pick up the newspaper, or take the dog for a walk. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't do anything in this type of uh, conditions. But you know, I drove down here for a reason. Got you know, I wanted to do the Boston, so you you just can't control that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. It is a huge achievement to get to the Boston Marathon, as you probably know. If you don't know this, you don't just show up in Boston and say, hey, I'm going to run today. You have to qualify. It's a fast time that you have to qualify to get the chance to be one of the 29. I can't believe there's 29,000 people who can run a marathon fast enough to qualify. Nonetheless, you get there. It's the big moment of your life, and, well, it's kind of nasty outside. Neil, what is the worst part for a runner, for a, a marathon runner, What's worse, the wind, the rain, or the cold? Um, I would say the rain, mostly. Um, sorry about that. I, I lost connection. There. No, that's fine. Uh, um, mostly, it's, it's probably the, the rain. Running wet is, is a very difficult uh, thing. It's like you know, when you spend too much time in the pool, everything kind of you know, goes out. Your hands get pruned. And, and when you're running and pounding your feet over kilometer over kilometer, you know, now, you, now you're susceptible for injuries. But, um, yeah, it, but I mean, I guess today was a bit of a tri-factor, you know, the whole wind, you know, cold temperatures and the rain, and it was a recipe, uh, uh, recipe for, uh, you know, a bit of a disaster with regards to uh, your times and accomplishing time-related goals. But uh, I, I did notice, and we mentioned off the top, that um, Krista Duchesne came third overall, two-time, yeah, yeah. two-time former Bradley, winner, yep, from Brantford, two-time former winner of Around the Bay. Reed Coolset yeah. came ninth for the men overall, one-time winner of Around the Bay. You've done the Around the Bay a few times. Do you think that having done, having run in events like that where it is going to be cold and it is going to often be nasty, does that actually help prepare you for something like this? Oh, I think for sure. You know, it, it, sometimes it's it's not just how many kilometers you're running and uh, you know how many how many uh, times you've been out or uh, what kind of your your foundation is. It's if you can go out and, uh, and run and minus you know we're talking minus ten, fifteen, twenty. Most Canadians, you know, if they're ever into wanting to uh, you know run our longer distances, they're we're always running in this kind of condition. So. Temperature was not um, uh, the concern, and, and I think that reflected too. I, I, if I'm staying corrected. I think the top five women were all from uh, North America. I think so. Um, yeah, and, I was reading uh, one report today that this was the worst performance overall by the African athletes in decades, and it's and I, you got to believe that maybe it had something to do with just again the conditions of what you're used to when you train. Exactly. I I, 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 I 
I think most of the uh, the African runner, uh, runners were um, they were still dressed in uh, you know short shorts and uh, and a singlet and uh, socks and and a pair of running shoes and uh, you just can't and the human body cannot sustain this kind of weather and temperatures and and, and being wet over you know for them you know it's two two hours ten minutes or, or whatever but it's, it's I think I actually saw an article in the U.S. today that was sort of printed online saying that there was many um, athletes today that were getting hypothermia, and uh, about every every uh, almost every mile there was a, a sign saying that there was a, a medic tent that she needed to go into and get some rest or you know be seen to by medical staff. So they were they were very well prepared here. You know, Boston puts on a, an amazing marathon. You know, they've been doing this for over a hundred years. They've got all the kinks all worked out it's a it's a smooth operation down here in despite the weather were the people out to watch it was it was jammed i i you know these bostonians i mean it, well right from hopkinton's to ashland and um up to newton the wesley college girls like they were everybody was still out you know even though they were you know cold and, and, and had umbrellas or whatever but they yeah it was impressive you um we mentioned just a moment ago that you had done yeah. the Around the Bay, that Reed had done Around the Bay, that uh, Krista had done Around the Bay. The Around the Bay and Boston Marathon have one thing in common. There may be more than one thing, but they both boast of having Heartbreak Hill. Which one is worse? <laughs> no, by Around the Bay by, by a mile. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, it's hilly. When I, I would say the Boston Marathon would be rolling hills. Um Maybe they'd be longer in distance, but their 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 uh, grade of uh, incline is is not what uh, Heartbreak Hill and, and Around the Bay is. So when you get to Boston, is there a sign or something saying you're approaching Heartbreak Hill? Uh, I don't think there's a sign, but you can start to hear it from a lot of the uh, uh, the uh, bystanders yelling, "Oh, you're coming up to Heartbreak Hill!" And, there, and I think there was actually a store that was called Heartbreak Sports. Um, and, uh, as you kind of went up to the top of the hill, there's that you, then you heard, oh, that's it. It's flat. It's all the way back. You know, it's flat into Boston. And, you know, I, as, you know, as a, as a resident of Pelham, I mean, I'm used to running hills. And so, um, I, I didn't think it was that of a, that big of an issue. <laughs> ah, Boston overrated. <laughs> Neil Ridley. Yeah, what am I doing here? Yeah, exactly. Neil Ridley. Uh, c- congratulations on the run today. Uh, congratulations on finishing to your brother as well. I know you finished arm in arm with your twin uh, brother. Was, That's fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was a, a moment I dreamed of, and uh, today was uh, definitely. Uh, you know, most of my dreams came true today for Boston. So thanks for taking the time tonight. Cheers, Sky. Thanks. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We here in Hamilton, as you well know, have a soft spot for Tim Hortons. It started here. It has been an amazing Canadian success story with Hamilton fingerprints all over it. We've got the original store in Hamilton with the big statue of Tim Horton outside now. But this, as you well know, this has been a tough year for the company. Just the other day, there's been a bunch of stuff that's happened, but the other day... A national survey was done, or was released, of Canada's most admired companies. And Tim Hortons, which has always been near the top, and last year it was number four as most admired companies, dropped to number 50, 50, dropped 46 spots. That is a staggering fall. 
Something is appearing to be going on beyond even just a little bit of a temporary blip, you would think. But what? Is it just the minimum wage fight? Is there something else going on? Sylvain Charlebois is a professor in food distribution and policy. He is the dean of the Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. He joins us now. Sylvain, thanks for doing this tonight. No problem. Uh, is this all this is? Is this just a little blip on the radar because they had the minimum wage fight and next year Tim Hortons is going to be back up to number four? Or do you get the sense there may be something a little more deep to this? Oh, actually, I think that Tim Hortons, or uh, should we say, uh, shall we say, uh, Restaurant Brands International, the holding company, which owns uh, Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeye's, is basically recalibrating the brand, Tim Hortons. And uh, I think some franchise owners are, are content with the situation, the, the ones that actually do own several outlets. But I would say that the, the restaurant operators who own, say, two, three, five Tim Hortons uh, restaurants uh, are, are, are feeling the brunt of, of what RBI is all about. It's all about efficiencies, and it's, which is a complete departure from what we've seen over the last five decades. And that's why there's lots of, uh, there is a, an incredible amount of tension between uh, franchise owners and RBI and, and, and Canadians are starting to feel it. Well, and so that one of the things about that's interesting about this is I would suggest, and you can tell me if I'm way off here, but I would suggest that it's not very often that we, the public, really care too much about what goes on between a company and its parent company or a company and its holding company. That inside baseball stuff, as long as the product is good, as long as the quality is okay and the prices are okay, do whatever you're going to do. I just want to be at the street level and get what I want to get. There does seem to be something a little different about this, though, and I don't. And maybe it's what you're saying. Maybe we have felt so tied to this company as a Canadian company that we're now a little more invested. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, you, we've had this uh, successful roll up the rim to win campaign, which has been going on for for years, and Canes have have loved the campaign. Uh, you got the smiling faces as you enter uh, the restaurants, uh, Tim Hortons, and uh, you know you get what you want. But as soon as you start being asked twenty-five cents for that jam to go uh, with that muffin or whatever you're buying, people are starting to notice there are some subtle differences uh, because RBI is all about uh, nickel and diming, and, and and there's nothing wrong with that if that's the philosophy. But obviously, for, for some franchise owners. It's not, it's not consistent what they've experienced before RBI's arrival into Canada. You wrote this line, and I want to read it to you. Um, so what the recent, this is your quote, so what the recent reputational survey is really telling us is that Tim Hortons is no longer seen as a Canadian company. Things are different now, and Canadians can feel it. What is a Canadian company? In the eyes of the Canadian public, what is a Canadian company? A Canadian company is is uh, ideally a reflection of Canadian values. Look at Canadian Tire. Canadian Tire in this on that in that same survey ranked number three because Canadian Tire really has done a good job representing Canadian values. You see it in in their advertising. You see it when you visit a store. They try to honor seasons and seasonality and those types of things. With Tim Hortons, of course, uh, for many decades, the company has been uh, involved with uh, community projects, uh, sports, uh, kids, 
everything that uh, that we care about as Canadians. And now all of a sudden you see a this massive enterprise coming from the U.S. into Canada with a completely different approach to business and serving communities. In fact, I mean, the the focus is mainly about serving shareholders, which is really inherently un-Canadian. Well, but we, okay, so we go to McDonald's, though, or we go to Subway, or we go to Burger King, or wherever, and yeah, we, we don't... accept the fact that these brands are American. Tim Hortons is a Canadian. Uh, the franchise has always been Canadian. And all of a sudden, uh, we see this this new approach. And, of course, the $15... Uh, minimum wage rift between franchise owners and and RBI was was mismanaged, uh, and it attracted the attention of media. And media saw Tim Hortons as the target for this uh, minimum wage fiasco in Ontario, which was I thought was very interesting. But RBI has taken a hit since October; its share has gone way down. Well, and now, if I understand correctly, it's asking the 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 owners to put a whole lot of money into redesigning all their stores. It's going to cost them oh, more. <laughs> which you would think at some point all this is going to end up costing the buyer more. It hasn't really yet. The prices haven't gone up really a lot, but it, it just it seems like one misstep after another in a lot of cases here. This redesign strategy again is a really interesting one, which is indicative of the new regime. So RBI makes an announcement uh, about all of its restaurants. Uh, all of its restaurants will go through a retrofit, will be redesigned to to feel friendlier and different, and it's investing $700 million. But here's the catch. All restaurant owners will need to pay $450,000. So if you yeah. own, say, three Tim Hortons, uh, you're gonna be have you're gonna have to pay up all 1.2 million dollars for for a mom and pop shop with that's, a few yeah. That's a lot of money. That is. We got to let you go, but just before I do, uh, there have been a lot of missteps here. Clearly, as it stands, if it's dropped from four to fifty, people are thinking there's missteps. Is this thing salvageable? Is it? Can they turn this around, or is there a point when people just have made up their minds and they say, ah, no, nah, I'm moving on. I think the brand will survive. I actually do believe that the strategy, uh, RBI strategy, that is, is by design. They do want to renew their uh, their fleet of franchise owners. They want new blood, blood that will actually be agreeable to RBI's philosophy. So you'll probably see a lot of people exiting the industry. Interesting stuff. Sylvain Charlebois, Professor in Food Distribution and Policy and the Dean of Faculty and Management from Dalhousie. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. No problem. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson, who just hustled back to us from Boston, where he finished the Boston Marathon in two hours and 18 minutes, just three minutes off his personal best. Ran it backwards this year. Backwards, yeah, in the crab walk. So it made the uphill hills look like they were downhill. It really helped me. Have you ever in your life had an a feeling like you would want to run a marathon? I'm not asking you if you were ever going to, but is it ever dawn on you that that would be kind of a cool thing to do? It has never crossed my mind. I just left the gym, though. I went to Good Life for a 40-minute brisk walk before I got here because I had time, and that's about as close to a marathon as I'm going to get. And I think it totaled, uh, let me see, a tenth of a kilometer. Well, if you had to be better than a tenth of a kilometer. <laughs> yeah. But 
I've I've often thought I'll be kind of cool to do that, and then I go start running. Well, you run though. You yeah, badly in short. I, I I've I've taken up now. So they don't have a four hundred yard marathon. They they well, would, if I ran it, it would be a marathon. Well, yeah, I, I've I've thought it would be a cool thing to do, and then I start thinking, oh, I'll get myself, I'll see what I can do here. And I get up to like three and a half or four kilometers and I'm just dying to get to my five kilometer mark. And I was like, I got to do nine times this many? Are well, you, you could, kidding? You could do the short marathons, the well, 5K no, jobs. Well, I, no, that's not really a marathon. The marathon is It is, a marathon. you can hardly do it. <laughs> my latest thing. <laughs> Would be to you. My latest thing is because I go to the gym every night after I do the show and I read somewhere because again, I'm I'm completely without any kind of intellect when it comes to working out. You just go to the gym and do something. And then you pick stuff up as you go along. Generally, because you've injured yourself, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I'm doing this all backwards, I understand. But anyway, someone said, the big thing, the thing you should do if you want to drop a few pounds, and I'm not a fat person, but I, you know, I was thinking I got to get in a little better shape, was interval training. So rather than just jog for five kilometers at the same pace, warm up a little bit and then do sprint for 45 seconds as hard as you can and then a light jog for a minute and then just keep going back and forth and you get your heart rate way up and then you come down a little bit. That's supposed to be the big secret. How's it going? Well, I'm doing it. Sweating like you cannot believe. I mean, by the end of the thing, I look like I've been fully immersed in a hot tub or something. Dripping everywhere, spraying everywhere. Except I got big feet. Size 13s, and I've got my headphones in, <laughs> and the music is going loud. And the other day, I one of them popped out as I was running. I caught it by accident, the, the the ear thing, and it pulled the. And I realized when I'm running, I am not being delicate. The <laughs> rest of the people in the gym, all they're hearing is. <laughs> it's like this has got to be really distracting for everyone else in the whole gym just to hear the giant flippers slapping on the treadmill as fast as I can possibly move them. Anyway, I'm I'm told this is doing great things for me. Well, you look great now. How uh, long you been doing it? Uh, five months every night. I think I've missed three. Five nights a week. I think I've missed three in the five months. I'd say it's working. Well, you look taller. <laughs> yeah. I I. The good news is the Leafs aren't losing yet. I just can't figure out how it is that some people we had, we were talking about the Boston Marathon today. We were, there are people who find pleasure in running. I am now up to five months of doing this and I am not enjoying it whatsoever. You know how bad I am with names than that young fellow from Pelham. Now, why I can remember where he's from and not his name, I don't know. The cop? Yeah, the cop. We just had him on tonight. I heard him. Neil Ridley, yeah. Listen on the way down. Um, yeah, it's an unbelievable story that guy had. Was he a runner before the accident? He, yes, yes. He had so he been. didn't just decide, I'm going to start doing this after. No, he'd been actually. After he, he got shot. He'd been trying to make it to the Boston Marathon and missed by two minutes the qualifying. And the next race he was going to do, which probably he would have qualified, he was shot before he could run it. So you can't just, oh, I, I you heard Oh, the, no, you got to You can't qualify. just say, I think I'm going to run the Boston Marathon this year. You got to, uh, for a man, uh, uh, has to do it in under three hours and 15 minutes. Now you can do any. Marathon. Don't give you all day. You can once you get to Boston, you can. But to qualify, you have to have run a marathon, a sanctioned marathon, in under three hours and fifteen minutes with mo- with no motorized vehicle help. That well, that's see, that's where I'd be. I just get a, a segue and go. 
It's uh, no, that, I mean that's like one said, of those little mini bikes well, with when, big floppy shoes on. When there's twenty nine thousand people running, I'm thinking oh there's twenty nine thousand people who've run a marathon. There's and more people than live in Dundas. That would be like everybody in Dundas running simultaneously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean the same time? Something like that. I think yeah. so. I clog up the finish line. Uh, you mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have just started. They're playing against Boston in Game Three. H- how can a team that looks so good? so often in the regular season, look, just turn the switch. And you hear about teams that say, oh, we flicked the switch and we started playing good. How can a team that looks so good in the regular season flick the switch and look so horrendous as soon as the playoffs come around? They did look uh, unprepared, which is surprising with the coach they have. I mean, all those teams are well prepared. I don't know how much blame you put on the Toronto Maple Leafs for game one and two or how much credit you give to the Boston Bruins to making it look like they couldn't execute and hadn't played in that league for some time. I mean, the Bruins did a good job. The Bruins are paying the price. They're, oh, they're, they're and def- you have to do that when they turn up the notch. When you go to the next level, you, you, you've heard me talk about different things. you, you got to have another gear to go to. And I think the Leafs do have another gear to go go to, but the Bruins went to that gear and are paying a price that the Leafs haven't paid yet. Well, look I, at the dirty goals they're getting in front of the net. The Bruins get full marks for what they've done, but again, I go back to my point: if through the season, the Leafs beat the Bruins three out of four games, so it, the fact that the Bruins show up in the playoffs ready to play and the Leafs don't, if they if all is equal, if you are playing to your level that you can crank it up to, the Leafs should be at least, at the very least, competitive. And they've not even been competitive in the two games so far. Well, one of the two of us on this show have talked uh, on more than one occasion that you don't really take into account the regular season record against the opponent when you think you've got another gear to go to. Now, the Leafs have got another gear to go to. They just haven't gone there. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you on that one. And when you say that you don't pay any attention to the regular season, <coughs> I also agree that it, it means nothing now, except for the fact that you know you at least have the bodies that you are capable of being competitive. Yeah. You at least know if you play properly, you can be comp- If they had lost every game in the regular season by five goals, you yeah, go, you, well... You say Boston's got their number. And that would be a good point. And I'm not sure you entirely throw out the regular season having no meaning but it 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 that's not the way to place a bet let me put it that way i i mean everyone says that the modern nhl is not about being big and burly and physical it's about speed it's about skill it's about more speed and look at the teams that are doing well in the playoffs it puts the lie to it the vegas I mean, expansion team or not, they are a fast team, but they're also a physical team. You watch that series. They're playing a physical series against Los Angeles. They're up 3 nothing. When Winnipeg was doing well at home, they were playing very physical against Minnesota. Boston has been very physical with Toronto. It says to me that, you know, the NHL and the people around the NHL can tell us all they want, that it's all about speed now. It's not. Well, it... it it's not about fighting, but it's, it's a about- combination of two things. And you don't, fighting's out of the game. Toughness isn't. Right. And some of the players that really stand out in the playoffs are the players that they say they have an edge, but in reality, they're mean. And they will spear a guy in the back of the calf. 
and get them off his game. I mean, they're mean-spirited people that want to win, and they're skilled. And you don't have to be big to play like that. And you've heard it, everybody else has, you know, he's not very big, but he plays big or he plays heavy. That means that they pay a price, and the Bruins aren't scared to pay that price to win. One of the things that makes the Stanley Cup the most difficult, or if not the most difficult, uh, professional championship to win, it's in essence a tournament. But you got to win 16 games. And you got to do it playing every other night unless you sweep somebody. It's a mean tournament. And there's prices to be paid. And I'm sure I've said it before, but the Oilers learned after the uh, Islanders beat them out the first year and the Oilers are walking by the dressing room and noticing that the New York Islanders have ice packs all over them and these guys haven't got a bruise on them. And you start going, hmm, I guess somebody paid a price. And then they went on to win a bunch of Stanley Cups. But the Bruins are playing tough. Now, if the Leafs step it up, and Kadri plays that way. So he's a small guy that plays mean, plays tough. Doesn't play at all these days. And now he doesn't play at all. He plays on an edge, and that's the price you pay when you play on the edge. Eh? That's what Marchment's like. Like he could go cuckoo at any time and conk somebody. Or Now he's he used to be a dirty player. Now he's kissing guys. Marchant. Marchant, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Not Marchment. He was mean. Yeah, he's kissing guys. I mean, what's with that? I mean, talking about driving a guy crazy and getting under his skin. I mean, all you got to do is kiss kiss another hockey player on national well, TV. It's going to drive the other guy nuts. What would have happened in the 80s if Ken Lindsman had kissed a guy on the other team? He'd have got a stick over the head. Well, I don't know if it would have gone over his head. It might have gone through his head. It might have. <laughs> but he <laughs> killed him. Or you would have had someone jump on him. And and, and I look, I, that it is a different era. Right? I don't, I don't, I've never been... Uh, a guy who's been horrified by a fight in hockey, if it's not one of those, I don't like those ones where they're set up at the start. If it happens and it's part of, it just stems out of the game, I've never been someone who's... That's part of the game. Uh, and yet, you know what, I'll say this. Uh, I don't know if there's been a fight in the playoffs so far. I don't know if I've seen one. in the, And I've I've not really missed it. It's not that I'm I'm fine with, I'm fine with the way the game is, without banning it? Because it's kind of just gone away by itself now, the way the game has moved. Well, it, it went away when they got rid of the hooking and holding and sure. center ice and the bigger the bigger lugs. That was more well, of the game because, anymore. because they couldn't skate as well as the skilled guys, so it kind of took a, died a natural death. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the playoffs have been great. And, and I'll, I'll say this, the Vegas L.A. series – and I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is about it. To me, that's the most compelling series. It's the most fun to watch. I can't believe that a, an expansion team is still winning, is still playing like that. The Kings are generally not all that much fun to watch. That's been a great series. That, that to me, has been the best series to watch so far. Really has. It's been remarkable. Sure has been if you're a Leaf fan. Well, or a Vegas fan. <laughs> or a Vegas fan. I, I did like, I did like, and we're going to talk about this when we come back. We're going to talk about the hype around games, but I did like what the Kings had on their scoreboard prior to game three. It didn't turn out to be right. but Which was? Well, right before they were down, they lost both games when they were in Las Vegas, and so when they came out, it said, what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> didn't quite work out as Good such, line, but though. was well worked. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. In studio with Don Robertson, 
who I never really properly introduced, Don Robertson of the uh, Dundas Real McCoys of Comp Choice Realties here every Monday, uh, who's uh, a team from Don's League, Ontario Senior A Hockey, won the Allen Cup this weekend. Stony Creek Generals won the Allen Cup. You must be thrilled. You know, even off-season, these guys don't really get along all that well. It's, it's good It's good for your league, though. To have, if it's not going to be you, it may as well be from someone from your league to show the level of your... Well, that's not quite the case. It should be us. But <laughs> you're right. It it, it gives uh, gives our league the credibility that our league deserves. I mean, we have a tremendous league. Uh, we played Stony Creek in the semifinals and uh, gave up some leads that and probably lost some games we should have won and never got beat as bad as the Lacombe Generals did in the Allen Cup Finals and, and the Whitby Dunlops beat them once. and So we have a very competitive league. But yes, it's congratulations to the Stony Creek Generals for representing the Allen Cup Hockey League and going out there with, in essence, a full lineup. And that's always, always a challenge when you have athletes that have full-time jobs yep. and you say... Yep. We're going, boys, and everybody needs a week off. And you get guys saying, well, I've only been there like six months, and I, I get one week's holidays. And, you know, we used to sign guys and say, this is the week off in April, and there will be no questions asked, and I don't want any excuses. And for the most part, we still do that, but it doesn't mean things can't come up. Uh, guys' wives are going to have babies. But full credit to Stony Creek, they took a great lineup. They did a wonderful job. And to prove how difficult it is to win an Allen Cup when you travel from this province, the last team that did it was the Chatham Maroons beat the Trail Smoke Eaters in 1960 in Trail. Wow. It's the first time uh, an, an OHA team has won the Allen Cup while traveling outside the province. Now, we've won lots, but they've all been played here. Ooh. The, well, good, yeah, good for them. No, that's a, it's terrific. It, it's, was, uh, it was great, and it's an imbalance uh, that Hockey Canada chose not to do anything about. But every other every other federation that we play have a double A league, so we're triple A. There's a double A league, like a like a midget team can drop a minor midget type of thing. We don't have such a league, and they can pick up ten affiliates. And generally speaking, on those double A teams, there's seven or eight real quality guys you can just pick up. So if you don't have your full squad, you can augment it so you're not shorthanded. And Hockey Canada, because we're big bad Ontario, won't permit us to pick anybody up from within our league because I don't let the other teams. So I've been trying to get Hockey Canada. We'll do it again this year, convinced that if there is no double-A league in your province, at least let the team traveling pick up two or three guys if they don't have a full squad. And uh, anyway, they, they marched through our uh, playoffs, 8-1, and one, the last three years in a row. And, and they didn't really get a snip the first two years, but they took a full squad. And congratulations to Brian Ham's uh, Stony Creek Generals. They, 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 they did, did well for us. Good for them. All right. We were talking about the NHL before, and we were talking about, uh, we were sort of alluding to the LA Kings and their scoreboard and stuff. I want to read something that I wrote this in Saturday's paper because I had seen this. I watched it. It was a nine minute, nine and a half minute pregame show for the Vegas Golden Knights before their first playoff game. I will, this is, this is what was included in the Vegas Golden Knights pregame show. And I don't think this is a complete list. This is all that I could spot and pick up at the time. It included a sword duel 
involving a Golden Knight slaying a cape-wearing Los Angeles King supporter at Center Ice, some kind of lantern-carrying wanderer foretelling some kind of prophecy, a drumline, glowing sunglasses, on-ice animation, music from the Medieval Times Canada's Wonderland collection, over-the-top narration that included the line, Fate has chosen our opponent. Blue Man Group, flags, fireworks, streamers, smoke, strobe lights, cheerleaders, a mascot, a siren, a 20-foot-tall helmet descending from the rafters, a castle, and Jeremy Roenick. And there were other things. That was part of their pregame show. Vegas. <laughs> Vegas. Now, I understand it's Vegas. I was going to say, you're in Vegas. You're in Vegas. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't sprinkle Elvis sweat at Center Ice. I'm astonished or, to see that in uh, Minnesota or Winnipeg. Yeah, but. not so much. And, and, you know, they didn't release the White Tigers or something with Siegfried and Roy. That could be coming up if they advance to the next round. I mean, who knows what they'll... If this was the first round, who knows what might happen in the... I'm really hoping that they bump into Nashville at some point because the opening ceremonies will just be so insanely hilariously over the top that it'll be better than the games itself. But are you are you someone who likes that kind of stuff? Do you like it when hockey teams or any sports team goes maybe not that much, that that's kind of a new level, but goes completely wild with the pregame hype machine and the music is going and the animation on the ice. Do you like that stuff or do you say, no, dim the lights and bring out the players and let's just go? I don't think it's part of the game. Um, when we start a game, we uh, we do the national anthem, drop the puck. We get people out in two hours. We assume they've come to watch a hockey game and not a Broadway show. And it's difficult to do at our level, but uh, back in the Brantford Smoke days, when uh, we were running a minor pro team in Brantford, I took a, a three-day jaunt and went down to Cincinnati because the Cyclone, Cincinnati Cyclones in the East Coast League had had like 275 straight sellouts. So I got, I wonder what they're doing. So I went down and uh, caught a game, and there was more stuff going on before the game, more stuff going on between periods. It probably didn't hurt that the, between the second and third intermission, intermission, it was bikini night and they were judging who had the best bikini and there were no fellows on the ice. It was dollar draft night and the stuff they had going on, I'm telling you, the hockey game just happened to be a part of the entire evening. And I'm driving back going, well, there's none of that we can do in Brantford. Like I, not the one that's going to have a bikini night and get run out of t- town on a rail. <laughs> the province wouldn't let us have dollar draft night. So there wasn't anything we could do, but I'm telling you, the, the place was full of kids, like young people, and they absolutely loved it. And then we went to Toledo to see a game to see what they did. And it's, I think in the States, it's far more acceptable. It's a, It was the, the um, entertainment package uh, was not just the hockey game. So I don't know if it's a culture Scott or not. I mean, we do some stuff here before games, but you don't see the Leafs or anybody else doing it. They are no. in Vegas. It's expected, I would assume. I See, I, I, I that is the most over-the-top thing I've ever seen around a hockey game. I mean, it, re, it really did look like a Vegas show that they just decided at the last minute, hey, let's throw a hockey game in as well. It, I mean, it see? really, that's yeah. what it looked. However... When I said about Nashville, I watched the Nashville opening ceremony for their first playoff game, and it was great. Like it was, it was great. It was, it was big and it was brash and everything else. It wasn't as schlocky or whatever as the Vegas one was, 
but they had this, this this screen, a circular screen that descended over center ice. And they were playing, projecting stuff up on there, and they had music and stuff flashing in the crowd. And I thought, I would love to go to Nashville to watch a playoff game. That, and I, who would have ever thought we would have been to that point? That the place that I would like to go see a game is Nashville. But they do. The team is good. The hockey is good. The fans are into it, and they do a really good opening game, opening ceremony thing. I'm like, I don't know why some of the other teams, the Leafs, for example, take the position. Well, we're what do they say? We're we must be way too. What's the word I'm looking for? We're we're too advanced as hockey fans that we don't want that. They don't want to see that. I'll tell you. I bet they do. Fans in the Leafs would love it if you did something really cool like that. They keep getting hammered in the playoffs. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have to bring a guy out in a unicycle to entertain people. <laughs> I remember being in Edmonton the year they had the run and they went to the Stanley Cup Finals, and I was lucky enough to get to two games. And uh, uh, my buddy Pat LaForge says, no, watch it. We were walking around the rink, and, and uh, he was very personable as president of the Oilers, talking to fans, said, you wait. Here's where we're going to watch the game from. He showed me that. Now, you stand here and watched the opening ceremonies. And it was basically all on the Jumbotron and the, uh, you know, the rim around the, uh, where, where they can illuminate things. Mm-hmm. But they had jet fighters coming through, and I'm telling you, it's the loudest I've ever heard a building in my entire life. Now, they didn't have any of the things that Vegas had. Now, in fairness, it's 12 years later or 13 years later. But it was unbelievable, the show they put on. had nothing to do with the players. It was before the players come out. But it was deafening. So they truly, as did I, enjoyed the entertainment package. But it was like four minutes. It wasn't a Hollywood production. But boy, did it ramp everybody up. So there is there are some things you can do. There's some things you should stay away from. In Vegas, maybe there's not but much do you to think stay Toronto, away from. Do you think Toronto fans truly are so deep in their hockey knowledge that they would blanch at the idea if you did a really great, really over-the-top, and when I say over-the-top, I don't mean with a wandering homeless guy with a lantern showing up with a voice talking about a prophecy. I mean, like, it was, that was, but, you know, like, Jeremy Roenick was in Vegas, and they have a siren in the arena that they get going, and that he cranks up to, to get going, and they have a drum line, and they... I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, I think that the Toronto's, Montreal has done it a little bit better. They have that on-ice animation thing they do, but I think it's a, I think it's a cop-out to save money, quite honestly, a lot of the time. We don't want, we don't need to spend our money on that stuff because our fans are, are far too... Well, that's an excuse. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so... You don't think that Toronto fans I, would want that? I think they would. Here is, I think, in part the difference with Toronto fans. First of all, you wouldn't get the people away from their sushi and their wine to get engaged in that because um, you see the bunkers, you see the seats, you see the platinum seats. They got nobody in them. If you had a great show, time. if you had a great opening show, people would come back to watch it. If you if if there was some way to remove the pickle that seems to be up a certain place with a lot of the Toronto corporate fans. I think you could pull that off. It might not be all that successful based on the type of fan base they have. How many people go to the Toronto Maple Leaf games to be seen at the Toronto Maple Leaf games? Now, if you were to say the season ticket holders and are not eligible to go to game two in Toronto on Thursday night, and we're going to sell the tickets to real Toronto Maple Leaf fans that are going to paint themselves blue, not like Dart Guy, 
and they're going to wear their sweaters, and guys are going to take their kids for their first experience to see a Toronto Maple Leaf playoff game, and you put 18,000 or 19,000 people in like that, and you put on a show, it'll blow the roof off the place. Oh, yeah. But the guys they got going now, they're not blowing the roof off anything except a Coors Light. Yeah, I... I... Obvious. I think that's the difference. I think there's real hockey fans in Vegas. What in the arena? And Nashville. Yeah. No, no, I They've done a pretty good job. As I say, I would never have a, in a million years guessed that if you could give me a playoff ticket right now that in my top 2 or 3 that one of those places that I would want to go to see a playoff game is Nashville, but right now I would. I'd Be- go to Nashville in because a heartbeat the, because the hockey, the team is good, the team is exciting to watch. And the way they put it together and the fan engagement and everything else throughout the game, it's they they have figured out how to make that place fun. And when That's Bob, the key word. It's fun. When Bob Young, and this is a really interesting one, owner of the Ticats, when Bob Young bought the Ticats back in 2004, I believe was the year he took over, one of the things that he decided he was going to do right away, and I, I think they, well, and I know they've fallen away from this a bit, he said, what we want to do is make this experience so much fun with all the other stuff going on around that even if the Ticats get killed on the field, you're going to walk away and say, ah, I still had a great time. The Buffalo Bills do it every Sunday at a home game. The the biggest part of a Buffalo Bills game and any NFL game is tailgating. Is tailgating. Now, See, you, you can't do that so much with the Ticats, but they used to have halftime shows. They used to have a lot of stuff that was... Well, listen. Cheeky, and that was kind you, of fun. And, and You can do a lot of things that they don't do. They could set up a precinct around uh, Ivor Win- or uh, Tim Horton Field. They could set it up in um, – uh, and they won't do it because they won't give up the money. The only, the only probably location that's suitable for it is a Toronto FC because there's lots of parking lots around. But I think one of the greatest things Mike Harris did with the Common Sense Revolution is it took, he was about 15 minutes after he became premier, he said, smart guy, we're going to let golf clubs sell beer on the golf course. Everybody knows people are drinking on a golf course, but they're bringing their own beer. We're going to let the golf course owners sell them some beer. We're going to let a guy enjoy. I mean, uh, there wasn't bedlam on golf courses because guys could buy a beer. They were having one or two during a round. I think if the, the province would lighten up a little bit and whoever's the, the premier and said, we're going to permit this for sporting events, we're actually going to treat the people like adults. Because what happens is the people that want to go there and get just hammered are going to go and get hammered whether you can tailgate or not. They're going to have two Mickeys and they're, they're going to pre-drink at a bar. They're going to take Mickeys there. They're going to be a pain in the neck all game long for everybody. You throw those guys out. Mm-hmm. But I think if you let everybody act like an adult and walk around and have a beer before the game if they want to, the party atmosphere really spills into the stadium, and it's part of the game night experience. I'm not promoting drinking because if you don't want to drink, don't drink. Yeah, I, I. But it's a party. It's fun to go back to the Nashville thing because I think, as you say, they've they've done it. If you go to a game and it doesn't matter if the team wins or loses, I mean, you'd like them to win if you're the home team, but it doesn't matter if they win or lose. If you walk away saying that was a great time, yep, you will want to come back. And then what happens? Then you wanted your friends to come with you. All right, you know what? I went to the Predators game last night. It was the best thing I ever done. Best thing I ever did. Pardon me. I went to Carolina for a game seven against your Oilers when Carolina won the Stanley Cup. I got there about 
because my flight was delayed. I got there about 15 minutes to the rink before the game time, carrying a duffel bag. And, and the cab driver said, this is as close as I can get you. And it was okay. But there had to be 10,000 people that couldn't get in to the building out there partying. And they had a, no, they're in their shorts, they're in their well, Carolina t-shirts. They were having a great time. What, who's and having, then they wanted Stanley Cup. Who's having more fun at a Raptors or a Leaf game, arguably? The folks in the building or the folks who are yep. standing outside in Jurassic Park or in Maple Leaf Square? It's the same thing. Watching it with other people who are just diehard fans. I would argue the people who are outside are probably having a better time. Well, it's not as comfortable. It's not as warm. You don't have as good a view. But, Scott, those are the fans I'm telling you. I know. If you let those people go inside the building, because half of them have likely never been in because they can't get a damn ticket. Yep. You let them go in, they'll blow the roof off the place. It'll be so cool. They will absolutely love it. But it, nobody wants up here, everybody wants to squeeze the last nickel out of somebody. You go to a Bills game. Because every, you can. Everybody's barbecuing. Everybody brings their own beer and everybody's sharing beer and here, have a hot dog or we got these Canadian sausages. I mean, it's just a great time. So what's that do? That's going to hurt your alcohol sales inside the building. It's going to hurt your food sales inside the building. So I'm not sure the teams are on side with that. Oh, no, they're not on side. I'm sure they're not on side with it at all. So but they're go- not pushing anybody in the Premier's office to say, let us do this. But I go back to my opening with this thing, and that is, should teams like the Leafs, the Canadians, the the places that are the traditional hockey places, should they put the kind of effort into pregame shows, pregame hype-ups that you're seeing in some of these southern places that don't have the hockey Tradition because the, our teams up here don't have to sell it. Be, I, I, right, I, I, and of course that's right. Of course that's right. But should they be doing it anyway? Because you know what? If you're paying four hundred bucks or whatever it is for a ticket, we're going to give you a show before the game anyway. Well, it, or do you just say, well, our our, our people are, are really sort of hockey purists? If you let the entire precinct around the Air Canada Center, whether it's uh, Jurassic Park or or Maple Leaf Square. Or some parking lots, which you don't want to use up because they're getting $75 a minute to leave your car there. But if you let it happen downtown, if, if um, uh, John Troy let it happen downtown, the, the, the mindset of all the fans going into the rink that were having a good time half an hour before they went in the rink or the excitement that they're just walking through uh, Maple Leaf Square, and it's all over the entire precinct downtown, which now seems to be full of condos. I think the atmosphere in the building's better. Sure it is. And there's one other thing. And let's go real simple. Let's take it back to the, let's let's minimalize this. Last year when Nashville made its run to the Stanley Cup Finals, what was, even if you weren't a fan of the Predators, what was one thing that people all over North America were tuning in at the beginning of the game to see? The national anthem. Who's, who's going to sing it? Who's going to sing the Carrie national Underwood anthem? Carrie Underwood going to sing it? Is her husband's going to play? Is Dolly Parton going to be the person to come out there and do it? Who's who's going to do the anthem? Who's the country star? And that was a big, that was an exciting thing. How many how many artists are there in Toronto or in Ontario? You, I mean, if you, even if you're not, well, there's going, enough to do every Leaf game. Even if you're not going to do the Vegas style pregame thing. Who's singing the anthem for the Leafs tonight? Oh, it's Getty Lee. 
Oh, it's the bare naked ladies. Oh, it's whomever. And instead you've got, and not insulting them, the, the young lady who sang tonight, <coughs> she's done a bunch of games this year. You look at that and you think, this just looks to me like, well, they can get her because they give her a pair of tickets and don't have to pay her anything. That's what it looks. That's what it looks like. You've got that. You've got the Leafs, the richest franchise in hockey, and you can't add a little sizzle to your pregame by bringing in some celebrity. Jim Cuddy's a pretty big hockey fan. Jim Cut and, and you know what? You move along, and look what Nashville did. The closer you got to the Stanley Cup Finals, the bigger the stars. And what happens with the stars? You were hearing this. They were wanting to do it. Yeah, they were now wanting to be part of it. So you you know suddenly you've got people getting in touch with Leafs, going, "Hey, I'm available." I don't know if Drake can sing. He can rap. I don't know if he can sing. But I mean, you start to look at. I I, I look at this and I think that would be that would wouldn't hardly cost them anything. And it would be really cool. And it's a little thing, but instead we're going to bring in no-name singer. Why? Because, well, we're too whatever for the low, I don't know. It, it, it just drives me, it, it makes me a little crazy that the, yeah, traditional, bunch, that eh? the traditional hockey markets have decided that they're only going to give you the hockey. We're only going to give you the hockey. Nothing wrong with the hockey, but I don't think there's anything wrong with adding a little sizzle as well. I think it would help. I think Justin Bieber, if the, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the Stanley Cup Finals, would fly himself in. Oh, yeah, sure he would. And Mike Myers, and, and I don't know if Mike Myers is still considered a star. But sure the, he is. how many people from the Leafs, like again, even in Nashville, again, going back to Nashville, because they did this right. I don't know if you remember last year, they had um, Shania Twain who they interviewed in the in one of the private yeah. boxes. She was hammered out of her gourd. She was so drunk, she didn't even know where she was. But again, what do you do in L.A.? What do you do in Vegas? You have stars in the stands. There's just, there's things you can do, and I just have never understood why they don't want to do you it. You could get Shania Twain to do it. Thank goodness she'd have to do it before the game. <laughs> yeah, should, we'll pre-tape Shania. <laughs> there's, well, there's a lot of cool stuff they can do. There's a lot, and they do none of it. And I don't think it's also because Toronto doesn't have the staff to be able to make a call to Getty Lee or to Jim Cuddy or to someone else. I think they could probably find someone to call these guys and say, hey, interested? And if any of them said, no, I'm not interested, I'd be shocked. I would be shocked. The Flyers would love to bring Kate Smith back. They and may. they've done it. They, well, they've put her up on the Jumbotron yeah, a million it. times. I'm sure if, you know, if there's a piece of her... Old checkered green and white dress somewhere. I'm sure that they'll. I think the Leafs should dress Ty Domi for the next game in Boston. Hoping to sing the anthem. No, to knock that guy out that does sing it. As soon as he starts uh, pumping Doing the, the arm fist, fist, yeah, just walk over and drop him. Just drag him <laughs> off. See you, Renee. You're retiring anyways. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from six to eight on 900 CHML.